What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Here's a lot there. We're going to touch some of it, not all of it but the important, I think, parts of it. Let's pray. Father, as we studied Thursday night, we are to consider these things, not just that which Paul said to Timothy, but our mindset is to always to consider your Scripture, to consider the things that you say uh, with the hope and promise uh, that you will grant understanding to us of these things. And so as we think, uh, may you grant insight, may you grant understanding so that we might believe that which you have told us, that we might act on that which you have told us. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As a pastor who was on Facebook, I am occasionally drawn into these conversations about baptism. Uh, Matt used to uh, be a part of many of these conversations, but he since bailed on that group. Um, He got... Because they can sometimes get testy, he wanted to not do them publicly. So I understand that. And what consistently comes up when I engage with people who believe uh, that baptism is only for those who profess faith is the issue of circumcision. And what happens is they, I believe, from my perspective, my presupposition, they misunderstand in a fundamental way the nature and meaning of circumcision. They think it's mostly about being a member of national Israel and about the promise of the land. But I think when we look at Paul, we see that something far more significant is going on in the act, the rite of circumcision, that he wants us to understand. 
So let's get to that, because I promised you a homily. A big idea this morning, afternoon, whatever this is, it's God's time. It's morning somewhere in the world, right? Is that baptism is a sign and seal of God's promise of righteousness. And so I'm going to look at this in three ways. And the first of these three ways is just historical, so to speak, that Abraham was justified by faith and then circumcised. It's not very profound in some sense, but it is profound in another sense. Paul here at the beginning of Romans 4 is addressing a significant problem. He's he's addressing a problem that was arising between the Jew and the Gentile Christians within Rome. Because there were some Jews that thought that in in addition to Jesus, those Gentiles also needed to be circumcised. They had to, in a sense, become Jews as well as receive Jesus. And so this gets to the nature of justification. What is the basis of one's acceptance before God? And so when Paul writes this, it's very serious. It's a very serious problem that he is addressing at this point in time. How are people made right with God? On what basis does he declare them to be righteous in his sight? Paul here is rejecting the notion that our works justify us, but he's also rejecting the notion that our circumcision justifies us or was necessary. It's good news for most of you guys. You don't need to be circumcised to be a full Christian, to receive the promise and blessing of God. I say that that, uh, Paul is addressing Jews here because he mentions here the very first verse, Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. And so I believe here he is speaking to the the Jewish population within the Roman church. He's issuing them a good reminder, uh, hopefully not a good rebuke, but it it perhaps was a rebuke. What What is the core of the issue here? And I believe it is expressed when Paul says, quoting from Genesis 15, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, Paul wants to explain that this gospel that he's preaching is not novel, it's not new, it's not something he made up. It's right there all the way back in Genesis. Genesis. I had to remember this. We need to remember this. That the good news that Paul preached, that we've believed, and that we are to preach, is one that goes all the way back to Abraham. Actually, it goes all the way back to Adam. But for Paul's point of illustration, because they exalted Abraham, they didn't really exalt Adam, because what did Adam do? He got us in this mess in the first place. So, Abraham, the father of their faith, what did he, what, what was, what happened to him? What did he discover? He believed God's promise and it was therefore counted to him as righteousness. This notion of what the reformers called sola fide by faith alone is found. Boom. Genesis 15. Because he trusted in God, and not in his own power, God declared him and accounted him as righteous 
in his sight. It doesn't mean that his faith was righteous, but that God accounted him as righteous. We'll get to that a little more in a moment. But we see that Abraham was to trust God to keep this promise instead of trying to fulfill it in his flesh. And so what happens between chapter 15 and chapter 16 is that a number of years go by, is one thing. And during that time frame, Abram tries to fulfill the promise in his flesh by taking Hagar as a second-class wife to produce an heir. He thinks that he's going to produce the promised child by taking Hagar to himself. And so the location of the uh, circumcision, therefore, is quite pertinent and appropriate, shall we say, with the removal of the foreskin, that which Abram used to try to fulfill God's promise in his own flesh. But we see that still that, Ab- that uh, Genesis 17, ugh, 15, that what happens in this declaration of righteousness is prior to Abram's reception of the sign of circumcision, it's also prior to the offering of Isaac as a sacrifice. And so before these things, he was already righteous in the sight of God. This righteousness, as he brings David now, here are your two, two main guys in the Old Testament, aside from Moses. Abram, David. He brings in David again from Psalm 32 that says that this righteousness includes the forgiveness of sin. And so this righteousness includes both pardon as well as what we call imputation, reckoning, or accounting. And so Abraham was forgiven, and Abraham was uh, declared to be righteous and had God as his God before he was circumcised. So, let's start with that basis. Salvation is by faith alone, not on the basis of circumcision or, dare I say, baptism. So... What is circumcision? Circumcision was God's promise to justify all who believe. See, in the Old Testament, we see that it is a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham. That the reception of the promises is by faith, it's not by the flesh. It points to the reality of circumcision of the heart. And it amazes me. I've actually had, had people tell me, and I, I still scratch my head when I hear this. They have nothing to do with one another. Really, the circumcision of the flesh has nothing to do with the circumcision of the heart? What do you think it points to? It's a rolling back of things. It's a cutting away of the coarseness of things so that there's a sensitivity to God that wasn't there already. And so circumcision of the flesh was intended to point people to the circumcision of the heart. But Paul adds something new and dynamic in the midst of this. 
It is in a sense novel, but let us remember that this novelty does not come solely from the mind of Paul. That this novelty, and I use the little air quotes for people who are listening to me somewhere in the future, this novelty comes from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as a function of Paul's office of apostle. And so if we take this as sacred Scripture and as the Word of God, we remember that even though it's not found in the Old Testament, Paul's not quoting from Genesis or Exodus or any place else, it is still just as much the Word of God. And he says this amazing thing, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. And so Paul uses two words that we ordinarily don't use unless we're talking about things like baptism. Sign and seal. He declares that circumcision is both a sign and a seal. And the second of those is a little trickier than the first of those. But let's get there. What does a sign do? We have signs. I've, I've pointed out uh, in other sermons about baptism are exit signs. Okay, And if I was to go over there, I wouldn't try to leave the building through the sign. Okay? I just, I'd have a hard time. I'd be piling chairs up, trying to fit my head somehow through the rather solid sign in the wall behind it. That's not what a purpose of a sign is. A sign points you to something. And so the, the exit sign points you to the exit, which is directly beneath it. And so if I want to exit this building, I go through the door, not the sign. Okay? So circumcision is a sign, and therefore it points to something. It in and of itself is not the main deal. It wasn't like you're circumcised and you're in. You're saved forever. No. The sign just points you to the righteousness that comes by faith. Simply, we see this today. All kinds of signs. Well, we already did signs. Seal. I got ahead of myself or behind myself or sometime around myself. The seal, however, is the trickier part of this. We understand a sign much better. But a seal is an authenticating mark to show that a message is from the proper authority. Now, in those days, it would include a signet ring. Uh, I don't have a signet ring. Mine's, my ring is boring. Okay, uh, But usually you would have wet wax, heated wax, and you'd press the ring into the wax so that people could say, oh, this is from the king, or this is from the boss. Today, we, we have things like labeling. So you know whether or not the, a particular product is genuine. And uh, for those of you who are very health conscious, you're worried about certified organic. Okay, That's a seal, so to speak, as to whether that product is certified to be free of GMO or free of fertilizers or uh, antibiotics, uh, any number of things. You look for that label that indicates to you, yeah, I should buy this. I should spend the extra money to buy this as opposed to that. So we see that circumcision functioned as a seal authenticating the message that 
Righteousness comes by faith. That this is God's promise. It's not just something that Abram made up, but is intended to be an authenticating symbol when undertake, when uh, received. Now this is completely contrary, I think, to what many Jews and what many Christians believe and have believed about circumcision. In other words, they put too much weight on circumcision in many cases, and they misunderstand its purpose in many cases. For instance, our Baptist brothers, whom we love, and who some of us might be, um, is not a sign or a seal that Abraham has faith. In other words, its function is not subjective. It doesn't say, this dude got faith. What it is a sign and seal of is that righteousness is received by faith. It's an objective thing. It's the objective promise of the gospel. It's not whether or not uh, someone has it. And that's what tripped me up for years when talking about this idea of a seal. I thought it was more the, the, the sign, the seal, that this person has faith. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Yeah, Abraham had the faith, but the sign is that righteousness is by faith. Because he has to place it on whom? His children who don't have faith yet. But I get ahead of myself yet again. And so circumcision, like baptism, was intended to be a sign of the gospel, a sign and seal of the gospel. That righteousness is by faith, and part of that righteousness is the forgiveness of sin. And what does Peter say in Acts chapter 2? Be baptized, that your sins may be forgiven. And this promise is for you and your children. See, I got ahead of myself again. Baptism, as we see in Romans 6, reminds us that we are united to Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And it is those things that save us. It's not baptism itself, but what baptism represents. Union with Christ. Righteousness by faith in Him. So circumcision was the bloody sign and seal that God justifies those He believes. I'm almost afraid right now to continue with number three. Because I don't remember when I started. And I promised my daughter that it would be a homily. She begged me, but I offered her no sign nor seal that it would, in fact, be a homily. So, my darling child, if I go too long, please forgive your father. Thirdly, baptize your children based on God's sign and seal. It is hard to miss the parallels between baptism and circumcision, and yet many do seem to either miss them or dismiss them. I remember here, Abram is circumcised as a convert to the true faith. 
in a sense, it's a missionary setting. He's brand new to this worshiping God thing, or worshiping the one true God thing. But he was also to circumcise his male children. And if we're honest, when we read through Genesis 17, I lost track of how many times I said, you and your children. It was at least three, if not, not more times, that that text read, you and your children. Okay, That I might be their God and they might be my people. Okay, that was also repeated often in that text. And so we see as well in Acts 2, this you and your children principle repeated when they are called to be baptized. I do not believe it is a mere accident, a mere slip of the tongue. But Peter is seeing baptism through the lens, so to speak, of circumcision and the promise and the covenant given to Abraham. And so, essentially, circumcision and baptism point to the very same thing and therefore should be applied in the very same way. Now, let's pause for a second. Because when we talk about baptism... My, my Baptist brothers will sometimes say, you're talking about two baptisms. There's the kind of baptism that you as a, uh, as a convert would, ex- would experience, and then there's the baptism that your children would experience. And the meaning of the two is different. So there's two baptisms. That's, they think they get me. Man, they got me. There were not two circumcisions, one for Abram and one for his children. There was one circumcision precisely because it is primarily objective, not subjective. It is a sign that righteousness is by faith. And Abram, as a convert, received it because he expressed faith in God. He trusted Him. And his children receive it and are called to have that very same faith. The sign is not that he has faith, but that righteousness is by faith. Look at Romans 4. That's what he says. And so our children like Abraham's children, were to receive the sign and seal of the covenant, and that our children, just like Abram's children, were to believe the promise that is conveyed in the sign that they have revealed. And unlike Paul with the Corinthians, because they were a troublesome, divisive group, I rejoice in how many children I have baptized in this place. And I long for there to be more, but I also long for there to be converts that are baptized in this place. But this is what, this is what I want you to think of as we baptize Ezekiel today and as we baptize Levi tomorrow. That it is not a sign that they are already saved, but they are reckoned right now as part of God's people in the visible church, and they must Receive the promise given by trusting 
in Christ alone. So, the presupposition about circumcision that many reject is that it is a sign of the gospel. But Paul argues that very idea here in Romans 4. And so, we must affirm with Paul that which he teaches about circumcision being a sign and a seal of righteousness by faith. Then the more, we will see more clearly rather, the connection with baptism in its meaning and its application. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach on these things. Um, to teach on these things, but ultimately it's it's your spirit that must do the work uh, to grant understanding to those who hear. Understanding not of what I say, but of what the Scriptures say. So we ask again that you would do so. And we thank you for signs and seals of the covenant. And we thank you that Baptism is no longer a bloody sign because the blood of Jesus has been shed. But I pray for all of the covenant children who were in this room that they would indeed receive the promise that they were given in their baptism. That they would have faith, the gift of faith from you, that they would cry out to you and you alone through your Son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.